Welcome to the Cod Past Podcast, where your fishy past hooks your brilliant future. With Dr. Deborah, Laura, and Dr. Trish. Okay, we are recording. We are recording. We are here. Yeah, we're here. Hi, everybody. Woo-hoo. Hi, everybody. We've got uh, the Phoenix Lights Oriola in the back of me because we have a, really, a, a special guest today, um, Dr. Lynn Kitai, and she has been a friend of mine for a really long time in Phoenix. I met her because she was getting um, bombarded with freaky, icky people uh, for putting her whole reputation on the line and uh, creating the movie that has has become phenomenal and is now 25 years old called the Phoenix lights. And we're going to get into this and I'm going to make a formal introduction of Dr. Kitai in just a minute, but you know, we have to start out laughing as if we haven't already, but um, Miss Laura, what are you going to make us laugh about today? Okay. I'm going to make you laugh at a joke that I looked up online, which is funny in and of itself. So uh, what kind of guitar do fish play? What kind of guitar? A C card, C tar. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's better than the real answer, Dr. Lynn. <laughs> and I didn't have that before it. <laughs> it didn't, there was none of that. <laughs> we don't see horse around there. <laughs> I don't know, what is it? It's a bass guitar. Nice. A oh, a bass. <laughs> of course, a bass. Oh, I, I want a little more bass, just a little more bass. What is that song? Give me more bass. I think we were talking about this earlier. It's uh, it's all about the bass. Not the it's bass. all about yeah. the bass. It's all about the bass. Yeah, exactly. Not the treble. Not the treble. <laughs> and then Dr. Lynn gave us a really good joke. And so I'm going to read it for you. And I'm going to put it up to the screen, but then I'll read it for you. It's really funny. Anyways, it'll kind of set the tone for what we're talking about. And this is from Dr. Lynn. So I'm going to get it up here. And it says, then they hauled me one in, into a strange vessel and removed the hook and took photographs and measurements. <laughs> and then I blacked out. When I awoke, I was back in the lake and they were gone. And the other two fish says, yeah, right. That is hilarious. Actually, actually, I I began uh, one of my PowerPoint presentations with that because it's actually twofold. Number one, um, the Phoenix Lights was more contact, not abduction, as that would infer. Um, But we do that for animals that are becoming extinct. And um, who knows? Oh, that is a very powerful thought. Very interesting. Wow, that we do this for people and animals who think they might become extinct. Woohoo! Yeah, they have the Herpetological Society in Scottsdale. Have you ever been over there, Dr. Lynn? No, no, I haven't. You know what? You know what that is? Herpetolo- I love saying that. Herpetological Society. I love. I love that zing in my mouth anyway um it's a place that they rescue reptiles from all over the world and they have the um most venomous snake in there and it's for this reason they rescue them and they bring them there so that they don't go extinct they have alligators and snakes and spiders and turtles and it's really fascinating when i used to have my schools they would come down and use the school campus for community outreach. And we would take the kids up there. Um, a lot of people don't know about it because it's world, it's world famous with zoos. But mm-hmm. a lot of people in Phoenix and Scottsdale don't even know it's there. Actually, actually, Trish, I Dr. Trish, I caught a small rattlesnake because we live in the mountains here thinking it was a baby. And when uh, they came to pick it up, they were like, they could not believe that I cornered this thing and got it into a a, a, um, a kind of a bucket on top of it. Uh, and they were taking it there actually afterwards oh. and said it was one of the most venomous things out there. So was it a rattlesnake? It was a rattlesnake. How big was it? 
about that big. Oh, because those little ones, yeah, they're really ven venomous. But it was a rattlesnake. Wow. It was. Wow. It and was. that was in Prescott or was it in No, Prescott? that was in, in Paradise Valley. When we live in them. Well, that that's the story. We live mountainside in Paradise Valley, very high. So we have a panoramic view of the city skyline. So we know what planes and helicopters and streetlights and car lights look like. Um, and actually, if anybody's by their computer and get on, can get on the Phoenix Lights Network website, www.thephoenixlights.net, and go to the photo page, we're going to be talking a lot about that because uh, one of the main reasons I'm here, and I stayed anonymous for seven years after thousands of people saw what I had been not only witnessing, but photographing on 35 millimeter film i'm the only person that we know of to date that has 35 millimeters in the negative it cannot be denied or uh explained by university or military optical experts throughout the last 25 years so here we are um but i stayed anonymous because two years before the mass sighting and again yeah. pretty high the first picture on that photo page shows the topography and there's some really interesting stories. I hope we have a little time to tell, talk about it because um, uh, if you look at from our vantage point, you can see in that first picture that South Mountain and the Estrellas are, are at a distance and, and the airport is right in front of South Mountain. And um, at any rate, uh, these phenomena keep popping up right in that area. And I always say the data speaks for itself. In science, we look for repeatability. But let's go back to 1995 when my husband, who's also a healthy skeptic, no interest or knowledge in the topic at all. We were in our bedroom. It, I don't believe in coincidence. We were talking about serendipities before. I don't believe in coincidence any longer. Uh, and this is just one of them. It was the eve of my birthday, February 6th. My birthday is February 7th. Just, just had it a, a couple of weeks ago. And here we have one wall of our bedroom is a window. So if we're in there and anything pops up out there and we're pretty high on the mountain, we get to see whether it's lights or uh, haboob, you know, the, the um, uh, big, big storms that come, dust storms that come through and so forth. And he happened to be at the window talking to my mother-in-law back east. We're from Philly, uh, Philadelphia. And she was calling to wish me a happy birthday. Here I was in the other room in the bath. I take baths when I can and uh, leisurely bath and suddenly, and he was on several state and medical boards. So nothing ever ruffled his feathers. And well, he said, I'm gonna oh, just yeah. insert these little things because I, I'm not gonna do a really long resume of you, but Dr. Lynn at the time was a very highly revered, skilled uh, medical doctor at the Arizona Heart Institute, which is one of the most prestigious heart institutes in the entire United States. So just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw in little credibility factors so people know. Well, actually, I went back to work. Are. I went okay, back to work ahead. after staying anonymous. But before then, I dedicated my life's work to community education of vital health issues. Besides private practice, I started doing health tips on NBC in Philadelphia in 1976. And a syndication grew from that, which was showing here at CBS when we moved here in 1980. And then Channel 12, NBC here, started asking me to do health tips for them. And then USA Cable. And I started a company in 85 health education learning programs to produce video and workbook curriculums for the classroom on vital health issues to wake kids up to the reality of substance abuse and teen pregnancy and, and AIDS and so forth. So when this fell in my lap, I really felt obliged as a, as a scientist to collect the most credible data, as a physician, to let people know they're not crazy. Even though most anomalies can be explained, only a small percentage cannot. But just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. So it's time we get this topic out in the open and address it and accept it and study it so we can find out not only who's driving these things, but move forward in our own evolution. And certainly as an experiencer myself, I know what that felt like to be a firsthand witness and have a paranormal experience. And then as an educator, after seven years, pushing my entire accomplished medical career aside to try to find a logical explanation for what I had witnessed and photographed and yet to find one, um, I finally came forward. I had a 750 page journal of such incredibly credible data. I had no idea was out there 
about the UFO, UAP, they call it now unexplained aerial phenomena, and as well as a plethora of other things we'll, we'll get to, <clears throat> that I finally did go back to the Arizona Heart Institute as the head of the Wellness and Imaging Center, the heart test to help put our younger son through medical school. He's a neurologist now. And in between patients, I pared down that 750 pages to 230 pages of the most credible data. That's why every word is there for a reason. And since then have just expounded every time I, I it's in its fourth print and I keep adding chapters, which we'll, we'll get to. And I always recommend the ebook because it has color pictures and live links so people can go and explore. I'm an educator. So finally, after a lot of soul searching, and we can talk about that, but it's not about me. It's about the data. And I, I just wanted to get back to the close sighting because I always, always go back to this because I saw these UAP up close and personal. And here I'm taking a leisurely bath. My husband's at the window on the phone. Suddenly, he yells out, Lynn, get over here quick. What the hell is that? Which was very unlike him. And I grabbed the tail, run to the to the closet, run to the to the um, window, dripping wet, and a little below us, because we're really high on the mountain here, and it's gated and it's nestled in the mountain range. So there is no way it was military. Were three oval orbs, okay? Um, one on top and two closely aligned underneath. And I immediately looked underneath, and again, we're gated, and it's very treacherous desert landscape to see if anybody was there making this aberration or whatever you want to call it. And it was pitch black. And I thought to myself, if I don't get a picture of this, well, first of all, I tried to take everything in. Let me get that first, because my first thought was to get my video camera, but it was downstairs. So I tried to take in this, the size, the shape, the color. They were about three to six feet each, depending on how close they were. They were definitely oval shape. And I said that from day one, which is interesting because Navy pilots have just come forward recently to say that what they've been seeing are tic-tac or lozenge shape, like oval shape. Uh, I call them an orb because the light did not extend outside the edge. It was self-contained and it was a uniform amber color throughout. Didn't glare at all. Every other light out there glares, street lights, car lights. Um, in fact, the first picture on the photo page on the Phoenix Lights Network website, I took purposely because there's a car on the road on the left bottom and you can see how the lights reflect onto the road. Mm -hmm. Very unlike the true unknowns. Also, there's a stream of uh, skylights on a house down the street that coordinate with where South Mountain and the Australias intersect. And we're going to get back to that because that's where these things keep and, popping. And up. what do the Australas mean? <clears throat> Say? The word. Yeah. Sorry. The Australia uh -huh. Mountain. Wait a minute. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, uh, but at any rate, um, here I, I run to the closet because I said I said to my husband, nobody's going to believe this if I don't get a picture of this. Um, and he calls me back. He says, because I keep a camera handy for sunsets. I collect sunsets. And he says, get over here quick. One of them is disappearing. And again, I always go back to this sighting because I saw this right in front of our face, right outside, literally and figuratively, right outside our bedroom window. The top orb, without budging, started to shrink very, very slowly, like a dimmer switch almost, as, as if it was cloaking, okay, mechanically, as if there was an intelligence behind it. And I quickly got out on the balcony. There's a, a sliding glass door perpendicular to that big window. I ran out there, got a quick picture of the two bottom orbs. That's on the website photo page, and immediately noticed an eerie silence as if time had stopped. It was just bizarre. And as intently as I was watching these two lower orbs, and I did not admit this to a soul until to after two years later, after thousands of people saw what I had been seeing after the mass sighting, that it felt like something was watching me as intently as I was watching these two lower orbs. And going through my mind, I was thinking, who are you? What are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. The next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to shrink, just like the top one did, or cloak, whatever you want to call it. And something told me to take a picture, and I quickly got a picture of that. 
That's all I remember. And that's the only picture that turned out at the time. But if you look at that picture, it's really incredible because I happened to catch one of the left bottom orb half disappeared and one's still there. But I didn't even know who to show it to. I knew nothing about the topic. Uh, I, I just wondered for two years what this advanced technology was. And lo and behold, and this is really important data. There's so much mis and disinformation out there. And the Phoenix Lights has become the most witnessed, most documented, most important mass anomalous aerial sighting in modern history, if not all of history. And this is really important data because this is before the mass sighting. It wasn't only about March 13th, 1997. Two months before the mass sighting, these lights came back at a distance. I won't get into the whole story, but I actually captured because it was so unusual that this thing popped up that I actually captured head on um, over a mile wide formation of these orbs in an equidistant line head on. And the first picture is wavy because I was shaking because I, I not having an explanation for the orbs to two my years before, it was like, oh my goodness, what is this, a mothership or a fleet? But I kept clicking away. And that second picture is really significant because the second picture shows exactly what thousands of people would describe two months later during the mass sighting, five lights in a V formation with two trailing lights. And in the picture, it looks like two are underneath it. That's two months before, that's the same exact thing. And then it looks like the top formation as the three orbs are disappearing underneath, it looks like the top formation is turning into a V. Well, did not sleep well that night, long story short, because I ended up calling the Arizona Republic. They said nobody called the next morning. I called the night before, okay? And finally, I get to um, Luke Air Force Base to see if they were doing any maneuvers. And they, the lady was really short with me and said, no, nothing came into Luke Air Force Base. Nothing came out from here, so we had nothing to do with the lights. I get air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport. Now it was a mission to find out what the heck was going on. And they share, they were very forthcoming initially. Not only did this appear at eight o'clock when I saw three, actually at eight o'clock, they saw them too. And it, it was alarming because there is a 30 mile radius around the center of the airport. Anything that comes into that airspace, especially at thousand feet altitude that these were, must call into the tower and no one did. And so they, they actually looked on radar, didn't show up on radar, they disappeared at 8.30 when the six popped up. Then they really got nervous because it was a massive span over class B restricted airspace. And there was a whole group that saw this, looked on radar, didn't show up on radar. And I happened to get a meteorologist also that was an air traffic controller on the phone. And he said that they took their high powered binoculars to look. And we're talking, you know, these are professional sky watchers here. And in his own words, there were six points of light, totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide that seemed to be attached to something, but they couldn't quite see what these lights were attached to or had a force field in between holding them in rock solid formation. And he said, and again, he was a meteorologist, that the entire thing was over a mile wide, turned as a unit against the wind. That's significant. Elevated slowly and moved behind South Mountain. So I said, so what was it? And there was silence. And then he said, beats me. I said, you're an air traffic control. You're supposed to know what's in our airspace. They ruled out every conventional aircraft, balloons, um, holograms, flares, uh, Chinese lanterns, as well as even skydivers yeah. with lights. We stayed in communication. These lights continued to show themselves in that area. And then on March 13th, 1997, for me, it was just another night. And I want to tell you two little stories when I finish this. Um, when thousands of people were outside looking up at the sky at the Hale-Bopp Comet, they also caught a glimpse of one, two, much larger. And we heard from Peter Davenport, the director of the UFO Reporting Center, National UFO Reporting Center, after years of analyzing his data, that one of these objects, whether it were these orbs in rock-solid formation or actual craft, was eight miles wide. Whoa. I mean, I, I thought he was kidding, but nonetheless, we're talking about phenomena that was so massive, totally silent, glided about 30 miles an hour, right over people's heads, rooftop level. Some people saw it take off at blink speed. Some people saw it split in two. In fact, again, if you're near the Phoenix, the uh, laptop and you get on the Phoenix Lights Network website, GAP page, Geospatial Animation Project, a 12 year study 
two or more people had to see the same craft. We're talking gunmetal bottom, windows. Some people saw beings at the windows. There were 10 different crafts. Now, weather, and they're illustrated there beautifully by Larry Lowe, and there's also animations, but whether it was one craft that could morph or the perspective from where the person was standing or an actual parade. And that's where the data really gets interesting because you've probably heard that from the media that it was one or two events and the second event was flares. I'm here to tell you today, and that was one of the big reasons I came forward to set the record straight. It wasn't one or two events. It was many events starting at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, daylight sightings, 5.30, 5 o'clock hour. Actually, Native Americans were seeing them in New Mexico, 7 o'clock hour and beyond in California, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock hour, there were two commercial airline pilots that called in to say that one of these massive craft was covering Las Vegas, okay? Sure, between eight and 10, most of the calls came in because that's when most people were outside looking up at the sky at the Hillbop Comet. But these sightings continued until 5.30 the next morning. Actually, I got the report personally, in person, from a Boeing crewman who said that his whole crew was coming into work at Sky Harbor International Airport. And one of these mile wide craft was hovering right over their tarmac. So we're talking about incredible technology. And at 3 a.m. that morning, we have a little recorded bite in the documentary of an alleged crewman who called the National UFO Reporting Center at 3 a.m. the next morning to report that military jets were sent out from Luke Air Force Base to get gun camera film and intercept one of these over mile wide craft that was hovering right over central Phoenix. And as they got close, the lights dimmed and the entire thing blinked out, freaking out one of the pilots who this alleged crewman said that he helped out of his aircraft because he was so shaken up by it and Luke Air Force Base was locked down. Now, so obviously they knew that something was going on. There is so much more to this story, but I, I, if I can share a couple of little tidbits that are kind of coincidences, do we have time Absolutely. for Absolutely. Okay, because the story gets even better as it unfolds, but just to back up a little bit, six months before the mass sighting, and this will address what, what you were starting to say, Trish, Dr. Trish. Um, six months before the mass sighting, I was invited to present my substance abuse prevention education program at the Gila, G-I-L-A, Gila Bend Indian Reservation. They had one school. And their very sacred ground is in between South Mountain and the Australia Mountains a few miles back in the basin in between. And, uh, you know, they don't talk to outsiders, but I helped out the principal. And after the mass sighting six months later, I noticed looking at the data, data speaks for itself. And again, it's in 35 millimeters. So they're in the negative. They can't be manipulated or anything. I noticed that these phenomena kept popping up in that area. So I called up the principal and I said, did anybody happen to see strange lights on March 13th? And he started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? He said, are you kidding me? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We're looking up at them during the mass sighting. We call them sky people, light beings. It's part of their culture. I had no idea. That was the first I heard of it. Not only do they believe, some believe, and they have protocols to invite these intelligences in. They are, they are very comforting. In fact, they believe that these orbs may be spirit world or ancestors coming to give them guidance and knowledge and comfort and inspiration and I have to admit, <laughs> I have been inspired to do this for some reason. I would have never, ever picked this. And by the way, before I forget to mention, some people saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it later. And if you go back to those 95 pictures, the same exact phenomena is in the same exact location at the distance as I would capture on 35 millimeter two months before, and also during the mass sighting on video has become a signature video of the three endpoints of a giant beer triangle. But to, just to finish his thought, he says to me, by the way, that's how the Estrella's got its name. It means star in Spanish, gateway to the stars. And they also believe that there is a, a gateway or a portal in that area. And again, to me, it's speculation. But if you look at the data in science, we look for repeatability. These phenomena from our vantage point keep popping up in that, that area. Another little coincidence. A couple of weeks before the mass sighting, it was getting a little ridiculous. 
And my husband was getting very annoyed with me because every time I saw these lights pop up, I would run outside and we might be in a heated conversation or whatever. And I'd say, hold that thought, <laughs> whatever it was, the science, science is me. I just had to document it on film. And thank goodness I did. But the point was that he was getting a little, little annoyed. So I thought, you know what? I've got to show this to somebody and find out what the heck it was. I mean, he would say, you know, they're just lights on the mountain. Somebody has a fire on the mountain or whatever. So this is how close I was, guys. A friend of a friend had a neighbor who had a friend who knew the past president of MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. So I called him up. I said, look, I said, I've been seeing these lights at a distance uh, that are really unusual. And he hadn't heard about it, but there were other people besides myself who not only were witnessing them, but photographing them. In fact, one of them, Steve Blonder, called uh, MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, up to his balcony and the night of March 13th, and they actually not only saw exactly what everybody else was seeing, but they photographed, they videotaped a V, a, a V of like a like five lights. It, those lights are attached to something. Again, all you need to do is really look at the data. But anyway, I said, besides these lights, I have a picture from 95, who's the only one that turned out at the time, a close sighting, and I'd like to find out what it was. I'm a healthy skeptic. I got to see it to believe it and, you know, explain it to me. Okay. He refers me to a field investigator from MUFON, and I, who, which I had never heard of at the time, Mutual UFO Network, for the following Wednesday, who calls me on Tuesday to say that the then state director wanted to be there for the meeting, but his mom had passed on Saturday. The funeral was Wednesday morning. Could we postpone? And I said, well, I said, I, I, I am so busy for another two, three weeks, but I have a little window at 10 a.m. on Friday morning. He said, fine. I knock on his door. He opens the door. He looks at me. He said, did you see the mass sighting last night? And I said, well, I saw something similar to what I told you I saw two months ago. In fact, I just got off the phone with the air traffic controllers who I've been communicating with, who said that it was the same exact phenomenon over the same exact class B restricted airspace about a thousand feet altitude. And in fact, a couple of pilots, one on departures, called in to say, what the hell are these lights over me? And another who was a private pilot on approach called in to say that he was seeing this V of, of six lights. And, you know, and I thought, wow, that's really credible, right? And I said, uh, you know, well, we will stay in touch. And we had a briefing. It's in the in the book and so forth. But he says to me, um, well, NBC was coming to interview him in a half an hour. And I said, whoa. I said, look, this is not about me. It's never been about me. It's about the data. I said, but, you know, I did health reporting in the early 80s at NBC here in Phoenix. Somebody might recognize me. I don't know what we're dealing with, a hoax or military or whatever. I said, but again, it, it's not about me. Take a copy of the video that I took last night, share it with whoever, I'm out of here. And I left. And that afternoon, I was sitting in front of my TV with a VCR, okay, and waiting for the news to start. And at four o'clock, you know how they do breaking news now? Well, every news station was showing my footage, <laughs> which was really exciting. I mean, I just wanted people to see what, what we saw. By the nine o'clock news, there were a couple other videos that came out, not only the arrowhead, mine and the arrowhead, were shot before 10 o'clock. But then there were a couple of boomerangs, huge boomerangs that were shot after 10 o'clock, which becomes significant in the whole story. Anyway, I was flabbergasted that thousands of people now saw what I saw. And it wasn't until the following Tuesday when I see my, because it was big, a big buzz here, uh, see my video on the news again, that they're interviewing a fella who had a computer, a huge computer lab right near Arizona State University, Jim Delatoso, where he also studied for a couple decades um, different UAP, unexplained aerial phenomena, similar to what my husband and I saw, the, the triangle of three orbs from all over the world. And he was showing pictures from Russia and UK and Belgium. I mean, it's a, amazing how, when you really look at the data, this has been going on since human documentation began. And other countries are much more open to these unexplained aerial phenomena being otherworldly. In any case, that really took me aback. And at that point, I wanted to find out what was going on. And I pushed my whole medical career aside and I kept an intricate journal every single day of meter reports, of witness accounts, which are very interesting, how the story unfolded, uh, how the military reacted. And that was what was so interesting. 
And I'm sorry I'm going off here. I just wanted to get in a little bit of the highlights and I'll, I'll be done in a, in a minute or two because there was no investigation, no explanation at all, which was like uncanny. I mean, this is like rooftop level. Some people said they could have thrown a rock at these craft. They were so low and yet there's nothing. And anyway, for months, there was nothing. In May, our former vice mayor, uh, councilwoman, Phoenix Vice Mayor Councilwoman Frances Barwood innocently, she didn't see it, but so many of her constituents were asking her why there wasn't an investigation, asked for one, and she was plastered by the me media. In 97, the ridicule and the snickering and the discrediting was just rampant. I was so happy to stay anonymous, and I really did. Only a handful or so people knew, because I went to University of Arizona and Brooks Institute of Photographer and to the military and others to have my data analyzed. I wanted to find out what it was, but I kept anonymous. And here, as the story unfolds, more and more people started to come out or were hesitant to because of the ridicule until June 18th, front page USA Today article. And people don't know this because here in Arizona, it really didn't get out much from Arizona. They really kept a lid on it until then, because this opened it up. I mean, front page USA Today article for the first time, People worldwide were learning about our incredible mass sighting, mass UFO sighting, and it went viral. We didn't have social media then, but overnight it was on every morning show, every national morning show, Peter Jennings, Dan Rather, you name it. And we were deluged by media from all over the world. And once they started talking to the witnesses, their stories were so detailed and so heartfelt that they too were asking, why isn't there an investigation? Why isn't there an explanation? Suddenly. The morning after the USA Today article, after nothing from the military or government, we get a public announcement that former Governor Fife Symington was calling an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon to reveal the culprit of the lights over Phoenix. And everybody took it quite seriously, myself included. He comes marching out, one of his aides, with a giant alien head costume and made a mockery of the whole thing, which was really, really disconcerting, especially for parents who were with children. When they saw these massive formations of lights or craft that were two, three walls wide, and he's making a joke out of it. Well, for me, it wasn't a joke, even though that did put a lid on it. Okay, I called every military base and I have some of their conversations in the book that were quite comical. They were more interested in seeing what I had documented, which I never told them what I had documented, than giving an explanation. They were just as curious. And then suddenly, July 24th, a month after the USA Today article, I get a call from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard saying, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was thrilled. She says, do you believe in all this time nobody ever looked at the log for visiting Air National Guard and the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off military illumination flares in Operation Snowbird, which here a lot of people think snowbirds means people coming from all over the country. Actually, in military terms, means diversionary tactical maneuvers, okay? And so possibly they were sending off flares somewhere to divert attention away from the true unknowns. But we don't have one witness that saw flares being dropped and that saw the true unknowns. At, at any rate, I said to her, well, when were the Maryland Air National Guard in town? She said, March 1st to the 15th. I said, were they in town in in January, she says, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, my husband and I both witnessed the same exact phenomena in the same exact location two months before the mass sighting, confirmed the next morning in January and the morning after the mass sighting by air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport as hovering over Class B restricted airspace at 1,000 feet altitude. And she says, you never told me that. And I said, besides that, and by then I had really tried to, to find some kind of logical explanation, including flares. I said, and you're telling me military illumination flares that drift and drop with the wind haphazardly, have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself and are meant to illuminate the area around it so that missiles go there instead of their planes. And you're trying to tell me that flares that just drop by themselves in seconds traverse the entire state in a rock-solid, equally spaced V formation, mile-wide V formation for hours? And she says, uh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you. Well, I'm still waiting, guys. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just going to fast forward real quick. Three years later, 
Frances Barwood, who was then Councilwoman Vice Mayor of Phoenix, was running for Secretary of State on a platform to get answers for the Phoenix Lights and asking for a reenactment, which was brilliant. Hey, if it's them, if it's military, do it again. Shame on you for denying it and going right over people's heads, but nonetheless, again, I'm a healthy skeptic, show me. Well, it was a public announcement. Three Air National Guards came into town right before the third anniversary of the mass sighting. And talk about a joke. If you go on the photo page news page, which has lists packed with, with really fun news uh, reports and stuff, but you, you scroll down to the middle and you'll see a block that says AZ family. You'll see exactly what they did. They tried to make a triangle was upside down and fell apart immediately. It had huge smoke trails, just what flares do. Talk about putting a nail in a coffin, okay? They had their shot. They blew it. To date, the Phoenix Lights have never been reenacted or explained, and they have never addressed the craft at all. Anyway, we fast forward again, and there's a lot more to this story, but I'm just giving you the tippy-tippy uh, highlights. Ten years, right after the 10th anniversary, our former Governor Symington, who had mocked the sighting in 97, for whatever reason, bravely came forward to divulge that he actually saw one of these massive craft. And he's an awarded military pilot in his estimation, his professional estimation. It definitely wasn't flares and that it was otherworldly, just what other countries say they are. And then shortly after that, we find out in 2017 from a front page New York Times article that the Pentagon has actually been studying <laughs> a $22 million uh, study, military study that Harry Reid got together, these UAP, and that uh, there are things flying in our air and going into our seas that are quite anomalous. And shortly after that, the private pilot, and I had no idea who it was. I even wrote it in the first edition of the book um, in 2004 that there were pilots who called in that uh, had no idea and it was over class B restricted airspace, which to me, it was very significant, incredible. That pilot, that private pilot who actually was reporting exactly what I was filming at the same time is actor Kurt Russell. <laughs> and now you know some of the rest of the story. Uh -huh. The story keeps, keeps, uh, evolving, and I keep adding chapters to to the book, and it's in its fourth print now. But uh, and there's there's much more that, that we could discuss. But I wanted to just Dr. Lynn, can I ask you a couple of things sure. while you're on this roll? Um, you know, we we all all four of us for sure share in our respect and our admiration for our native ancestors that are on the on the land and in the Southwest in Arizona, we have several tribes that are, are always teaching us things. And um, most of the tribes that were around didn't have any written language. And so it's, it's based on the stories. And I love the story of Australia and the Australia mountains. And I really wanted you to get that in there. So thank you. No, I'm um, glad you brought it up. But I have two questions. One is, um, uh, on, on the reverence of these um, stories that have been given to many of us for years, and we we love and respect so much, the stories are pretty prevalent, especially with the Hopis right now. The the um, all that's coming out from ten thousand, five thousand, two thousand year old Hopi stories that now is the time. Now is the time that's been chosen for truth and for this connection. I'd like to know how you feel about that. And then the second one is why, why do you think there's still so much cover up about all of this and why can't we talk? Like I, I've had these ETs out in the sky every single day for a little bit over a year um, that I do feel like I have a conversation with. It's so weird. And I have a lot of stories about that. But why can't we just talk about this? Like, hey, Laura, my aunt just called, you know, I mean, why do we have to be so covered up and have special podcasts to talk about something that happened 25 years ago? So would you talk about those two aspects? Because at the end of the hour, we're going to go over to Clubhouse where we have a chance for people to ask all kinds of questions. And, um, and I just am fascinated by you, have always been. 
Well, I, I really appreciate letting me share because there's so much more to this story. And, and two of the things that you just um, focused on, uh, uh, I mean, there's so many things I'd like to share with your with your audience. First of all, it's really important um, to acknowledge and hope we have protocols to invite these intelligences in because they they welcome them. They're um, which which is amazing that they, if we really look at the indigenous cultures worldwide, they've always accepted the fact that there are other intelligences. And people ask me, well, what were the phoenix like? I don't know what they were, but I know that they were. And again, it's time we get this out in the open, whether it was um, interdimensional, interstellar, uh, and I feel that a lot of it was interdimensional, by the way, obviously, it was right in front of me and it cloaked right in front of me, but interdimensional, uh, interstellar, in, in, uh, time travelers, even if they're here, if they've been here, and that's that's another point that that might be true because we're seeing a lot of these uh, submersibles, they call them, uh, submersible UFOs come out of the ocean and going back into the ocean and we have uh, a large amount of our world is ocean, so who knows if they've been there for centuries or millennia. But at any rate, uh, to take a step back, one of the most important things, and you kind of alluded to, to it, uh, is how the Phoenix Lights affected people. That's really important. And, and we are getting uh, more open. I mean, we've come a long way since 97 in being able to talk about this topic, and we still have a long way to go. But drip, 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 we've been giving some information that has opened people's minds and raised awareness. And that was one of the reasons I had to come forward, just to, to get the data out there. People can decide for themselves. People come, everybody comes from a different background, from a different upbringing, from a different belief system, worldview. Some people can't deal with this topic. Some people don't want to, and that's okay. Everyone in their own time. But now the data is there if people want to look and open their mind and open their heart. And one of the things that um, the Phoenix Lights did in real time and in long term is really important because in real time, we are so inundated, and we address this in the documentary, with threat, 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 and harm, harm, harm from movies and Hollywood and media. Uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz, who uh, is uh, the head of the consciousness department at the University of Arizona, makes a very poignant statement in the documentary that if you're inundated with the threat scenario, how do you think you're gonna feel? when something so massive and unusual is coming towards you. And that's what happened with children. The movie Independence Day was huge around that time. And children who were usually, interestingly, the first to see this mile wide bee coming towards them were jumping up and down, Independence Day, Independence Day. But as it came closer, a calmness came over everyone, adults and children alike, a connectiveness to the phenomena that after it passed, the kids wanted their parents to run after it or get in the car and chase it. It's amazing in real time how it changed people. There was not one, and this is important to note, in 25 years, there has not been one credible report of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights phenomena. I can't speak for other things, but I can about the Phoenix Lights. If anything, it was just the opposite. People were in awe, just like you, Trish. I mean, just in awe and wonder and connecting to these things. And I, even our, in, my, in the book, I have 10 ways that one can connect if you choose. It is a choice. But to go one step further, not only was it so wondrous for people and pulling their cars over, and I have more people tell me that they feel blessed that they had the experience in 1997 for the Phoenix Lights, they still feel blessed. But one of the other poignant asides that is really important in all of this, and I think you guys will appreciate it, is that a number of witnesses to the Phoenix Lights also shared with me that they had had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting. Mm. And that really took me aback because I did too, when I was eight years old, we wouldn't have time to get into it, but I lay it all out there in the book at where I did meet beings and I came back way beyond my years. I mean, just what happened. When I started looking, I thought, geez, could there be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena that have a mystical light associated with this experience. And lo and behold, when I started looking, just like the UFO, there's so much, so much credible data, plethora of credible data if you really look for it. But here again, 
I found university studies, the Omega Project about this thick, by Dr. Kenneth Ring at University of Connecticut, Dr. John Mack at, at Harvard, had, actually had a whole peer institute dedicated to contact and, and this phenomena, as well as Dr. Bruce Grayson and Dr. Stuart Tremblow, who are NDE, near-death experience experts. And in the book, I lay it out very simply. Not only is the experience very similar from seeing a light, feeling that there's an intelligent presence, um, telepathy, as well as um, coming back and feeling an urgency. I'm just giving the highlights here, uh, urgency to share. And what's really amazing is that people also, including Phoenix Lights experiencers, had a transformation, a positive transformation, went into the peace movement, went into the environmental movement, um, changed their eating habits, wouldn't eat meat anymore. I started calling all unexplained phenomena UP and up because it is an up. The positive awakening, the enlightenment that happens within an individual that experiences an up, an unexplained phenomena experience, the connectedness to the universe and to the earth and to each other that has probably never been felt before is felt by that individual, whatever the up experience is. And you don't have to have an up experience to have this positive transformation. All you need to do is open your mind and your heart and learn about it. And once you really start delving into it, and I've heard many times from many people that my book helps people do that, you become aware. I came back from my near-death experience with, with three A's. <laughs> First of all is, is awareness of what's around you and, and, and who you meet and, and opportunities that come before you, attitude, a positive and negative attitude. I've seen that in medicine, negative attitudes. I've seen people get really, really ill because it feeds and negative energies feed on that. Positive energies bring that positivity towards you as well as appreciation. And just every day, I write a little something down every day, and I recommend that to people of, of what you appreciated from that day, whether it was a gorgeous sunset or a flower with the beautiful colors in the flower or whatever, or meeting a new person or calling one of your relatives you haven't talked to in a while, appreciation for what you have. You can always look to the negative. I, you know, the old adage, a man that had no shoes was crying until he felt, saw a man that had no feet. Um, and, you know, so that's what I brought back with me. So I, you'll, you also, if you haven't had enough experience and learn about it, you will start to recognize serendipities and, and see the connectiveness between all things. And um, that's another thing people ask me all the time. Do you believe in UFOs? Someone that has a true up experience, it's not a belief anymore. It's a knowing. Mm. I'm taking so many notes. <laughs> now, I I, do you see why I love Dr. Lynn so much? Yeah. I mean, she's so one of us. And um, she, she like, like all three of us, really threw everything into the ring of fire and said, you know, um, uh, I'm going to. I'm going to know what I know, and I'm going to say what I know. And if you're with me, great. And if you're not with me, great. But I'm going to do what I have to do. And I, these two girls, I've known Laura for what, 16 years? Or? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Yeah, at least 10,000. <laughs> wow. And, and uh, Deborah, it seems like I've known her 9,000 years. I've only known her nine months, right, Deborah? But um, we have created such a dynamic partnership. And part of it is this thinking that you are Lynn, um, Dr. Lynn, I'm sorry, um, that, you know, you did all these accomplished things and you've done such a beautiful job with your family and with the community around Phoenix and Scottsdale. I mean, you're one of those worker bees that just continues to do everything that you can to make the world a better place. And you had this phenomenal thing happen. And I remember... Um, I'm in the very, I'm so proud to say, I think you can see the back of my head in, in uh, Dr. Lynn's movie, The Phoenix Lights, at the very end. But <laughs> the, fu the funny, the my little story about that, I didn't see them. I, you know, I was a, mo a working mom. I was working myself to death. I, I taught yoga at night and I was a banker during the day. And I didn't know it was sun up or sundown most of the time. So I didn't know about the Phoenix Lights till it hit all the news. And 
I met Dr. Lynn after that. But but what happened was I was very involved with a lot of people from hospice. And you know, hospice is like the sweetest organization on the planet. Most of hospice is made up of volunteers and they do incredible work, incredible work at a time when people need it so bad. And so not only the people passing, but the people in the families need help. Well, all these little ladies from Hospice of Phoenix or Hospice of the Valley or one of those, they were all my friends or a bunch of them were. And they were on the back porch of one of my other friends who wasn't too far of a house from Dr. Lynn's and they too were up on the mountain. And if you can imagine all these little ladies talking about their experience from the week and what are they gonna, where are they gonna work and whose house are they gonna go to and what, what the things do they have? And all of a sudden, one of these triangles came right up like over their head and they couldn't hear it. They just noticed that everything was blocked out above them and then they could see the lights. And they said the same thing. It was as if the lights were alive because they didn't shine. They, they just sort of, uh, it was like a live lights, you know, and, um, and they had told me about that story. And then of course, Dr. Lynn and some of us were tied to each other. So um, she just brought all that together where everything was so disjointed and everybody was saying everybody was crazy, but everybody was saying like, I'm not crazy. And these little ladies are like, but I really <laughs> saw it, you know? Well, not only that, there's so much mis and disinformation and, and, you know, just to, to finish the thought, which I think you guys would also appreciate and your audience and remind me to tell you about raising Arizona. Okay. Before, whether now or in the clubhouse, um, but people say, well, what was the Phoenix lights all about? And I think you can attest to this. Okay. Uh, that not only whoever's behind it, and I don't know who's behind it, but whoever is behind it wanted to let us know in a very gentle, non-threatening way that they are here with us. And not only that, but one person at a time, they're waking people up to not only the fact that we're not alone in the universe, and there's so much wondrous possibilities of the universe, but also the spiritual beings that we are. Each individual has so much potential to make this world a better world. And certainly you have tried to, Dr. Trish, with, with what you've done with schools and, and, and so forth and you other guys. I mean, that, that is such a message that has really stuck with the people that have had the Phoenix Lights experience. So that doesn't happen with planes and helicopters and flares and, and so forth. So do I have a minute to talk about Raising Arizona? Yes, definitely. And Laura wants to ask you too about the 25th anniversary. Yep. So after you do this. Well, if, if first of all, the 25th anniversary is coming up uh, on March 13th, very, very soon. And uh, which we're so excited about. I can't believe it's been 25 years. And every year I host a big event at the Scottsdale Hark and Shade Theater. This year is going to be the week, the Sunday after on March the 20th. Anybody that's interested, uh, not only do we show our award-winning documentary on the big silver screen, which is so exciting, people that come come as strangers and leave connected. There is something about this event. It's a mainstream event. It's not a UFO event, but there's something about this event that people are just curious or they were witnesses. Um, they're not UFO people. They're the mainstream audience that come and, and really connect while they're there, not only after they see the movie, um, which they probably haven't heard as a gentle overview. The book is much more detailed, obviously, but um, it's a gentle overview. I don't want to freak people out, but I wanted to give them a smattering of the Phoenix Lights and how it affected people and, and so forth. Um, but after the movie, then we have speakers and we have incredible speakers from uh, wow. Navajo Rangers who uh, actually had a big sighting the day before us that they talk about, but they're law enforcement that are taking this seriously. That's what it takes. It takes a governor to come forward and an, a big actor that people uh, adore, uh, Kurt Russell, as well as Navajo Rangers who actually study these phenomena. There's a lot going on on the Navajo range, um, as well as uh, other speakers. We have a, a radio personality that 
that, that's from here. And we, we address uh, witnesses. We have wonderful witnesses that come forward. Um, also, Jim Delatoso is going to be there and Rebecca Hart, Dr. Rebecca Hartcastle. She's in the documentary. And um, Frances Barwood, the councilwoman, is going to give us a little Zoom uh, message. And we're so excited. Alice Cooper, our, our rock star, uh, beloved rock star here, Alice Cooper, actually had a sighting very similar to the Phoenix Lights. And uh, he shared that with me years ago. And he's going to be doing uh, a little remote Q&A for us there as well. So it should be a really, really fun, fun time. And uh, like I said, we have speakers and then we have the Q&A and people open up. People don't want to leave. Harkin, Scott So Harkin Shea Theater, where it's held literally every year, it's sold out. So I, I recommend people getting their tickets right away. Well, well you know, I, 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 I came back from Costa Rica day before yesterday or Sunday night, whatever day this is. And so I'm going to be there for this. Well, guess oh. what? Guess me. Guess what? We're going to be there, too. We'll be, too. What? We have three front row tickets. We have three front row tickets, Trish. Are you kidding me? Oh, you guys are so fun. seats now. So if you get onto my Facebook page or Phoenix Lights Network website, Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page, you can order them from there. And again, I recommend people, you know, don't wait till the last minute. We already have three front row seats, Dr. Lynn. We are so excited. there, Trish. You know, it's so funny because on my to-do list yesterday, it was a couple other things, but not at all was it getting tickets to Phoenix. And then when I looked at your website, I wasn't even planning on being on the Very cool. Very cool. Well, I, I I invite everybody because I mean that they literally have to throw us out of the, out of the theater and everybody goes out into the parking lot and continues the conversation and the restaurants around. There's a little shopping center with wonderful restaurants, Pita Jungle, and a Mexican restaurant. They love us because people go there to continue the conversation. Um, I, yeah, Trish just said we've got to call Kurt Russell. I agree because you know I don't know if you know this, Dr. Lynn, but one of the things he was he was a Dis Walt Disney loved him, absolutely loved him. And it was one of the final things that Walt Disney had on one of his chalkboards or something like that was his name. It's like he was the answer to everything. And I had seen that he was the private pilot that flew in. Yeah, that day. yeah, I would love to have a conversation. But your audience, you know, they're, they're welcome to read my bio. But just I don't know if you guys realize or know that before I went to medical school, I was in professional musical theater. I have a three octave coloratura voice, which I thought is why I came back from my near-death experience, actually. Um, there's a big story to that. But I, I toured with Gordon McRae in Oklahoma and Betty Grable in Guys and Dolls and understudied Barbara Eden in Sound of Music and um, Sherman Hemsley from the Jeffersons. I did Alice in Alice in Wonderland with him. He was a caterpillar and he was just like Mr. Jefferson before he got, got, the, <laughs> got the job. Um, and um, I was chosen to play the role of uh, Florence, Arizona in the Owen brother hit 20th Century Fox movie, Raising Arizona. Mm -hmm. Now talk about a coincidence. Again, I don't believe in coincidence any longer, but you be the judge. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. Just giving you the data. A couple of years after I came forward and the movie came out in 87, I was approached like in 2006, 2007 at one of the conferences where I spoke by someone from the audience who said, you know, there's a reference to your character. Florence, Arizona, in Raising Arizona, and UFOs. And I did not remember. I hadn't seen it since the late 80s, didn't even recall. I go back to look. Number one, if anybody doesn't know the story, the cast was unbelievably phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Most of them were just starting out. Nicolas Cage had done a couple of movies, but Holly Hunter, Francis McDormand, Academy Award winner, um, John Goodman, William Forsythe. I mean, what a cast. And um, after, the story is that uh, Holly Hunter and um, Nicolas Cage can't conceive, so they it's a black comedy. So they decide to uh, kidnap one of the Arizona quintuplets. We had fertilization and had quintuplets. And um, after one was kidnapped, they have a press conference in front of our home. And one of the reporters sticks a phone in my husband's face and says, there's a rumor your son was abducted by UFOs. Is there any truth to that? And my husband said, oh, please, son, please don't print that. If his mama reads that, she'll lose all hope, which is totally opposite from my own take. Nonetheless, 
It's the only, only reference in the entire film to UFOs. Wow. 10 years, 10 years 10 before years. the mass sighting. Now, that was 87, mass sighting 97. Now, to make it even more intriguing, the cinematographer, who was also just getting started, went on to do big with, with Tom Hanks and when Harry met Sally with Billy Crystal and how the West was one with Will Smith and a whole host of others, the Adams Family, and created and directed the Men in Black series, which opened the premiere was in 1997, the same year as the Phoenix Lights. Coincidence? Wow, no. Ooh, I get chills just thinking oh my about gosh. it. That is amazing. It's uh, four o'clock, ladies. <laughs> now we oh, need to, we're going to wrap up and go on over to Clubhouse. Thank you so much, Dr. Lynn, for oh, joining Oh, my us. pleasure. And I, oh, I it was amazing. Keep looking up because it's a double entendre, and I know that the audience now understands why. Oh, I love That's it. Right. So we'll I see you it. over on Clubhouse. Yep, I'll open that. Okay. See you. Thank you, Dr. Lynn. Thank we'll you, Dr. Lynn. It was amazing. Back to you Clubhouse. for letting me share. Oh, yeah. Right. See you and in I March. We'll take a look we'll at see you uh, in the March. Rest. We'll see you soon. All right. We'll see you in a minute. See you in a minute on Clubhouse. Let's see. I'm going to leave. Hi, everybody on Facebook. <laughs> what what do I do now? Okay, now you hang up. You go over to your phone and you. I am on my phone. Cod pass, so you hang up this. This isn't. I have to hang it up, but then I can't hear you. No, you have to hang this up. You'll see us over at the other one. Nobody's watching now, right? <laughs> no, uh, no, I've got to turn off the recording, but um, but what you're going to do is you're going to yeah, that's right.